Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on the Strand, WC2. Three streets southeast of the Bedford Brewery Baby Batra. Five buildings right of the last play Emmy Werner saw. Directly opposite the strangled baby at the Coalhole Tavern. And a short walk from the Strand Medical School scandal. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Opened in 1909, the Strand Palace was one of several grand hotels built by J. Lyons & Co., owners of the Cornhouse Tea Rooms. Covering one square block and standing seven stories high, by the 1950s, its 600 rooms had been greatly modernised to include private bathrooms, central heating and radios. Like many others, Room 622 had seen its fair share of action. Whether by Randy reprobates, making the walls shake like an earthquake lasting a whole six seconds. Dodgy drunks replacing the overpriced minibar shots with cheapy shite from a nearby spa. Bored businessmen falsely claiming that they fell asleep on the TV remote and accidentally switched it to eight hours of hot chicks with dicks. And many possessed wives who held a pillow over their spouse's face and pondered stopping the snoring forever. But unlike the others at the Strand Palace Hotel, room 622 had also been a witness to a murder. In the summer of 1958, the occupant of room 622 was 68-year-old American Bernard Smith. A kind and decent man who was quiet and respectable. With his health declining, having discussed his retirement with his sisters, Bernard had sold up, left America and moved to the UK to be nearer his family. At 12.15pm, on Tuesday the 3rd of June 1958, Lila Gilman, Bernard's sister, was in room 622, helping him with a simple task. 
Moments later, he would brutally beat her to death. My name is Michael. I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 182 The Quiet American. At 12.30 a.m. on Wednesday the 4th of June, just 12 hours after the attack, Bernard sat in the interview room of Bow Street Police Station. For Chief Inspector Milligan and Detective Sergeant Baker, there was no denying his guilt, as his fingerprints were in the room and he had made a full confession. Across their careers... They had interviewed all kinds of killers, but Bernard was different. As the epitome of a frail old man, standing just five foot and six inches high and weighing barely nine stone, he looked like a stiff breeze would blow him over. Described as small and stooping, he walked with an ambling gait. His thick-lensed glasses magnified his eyes to twice the size and having left his hearing aids on his bed, with his soft words barely above a whisper, the hotel staff often called him the Quiet American. With his clothes disheveled and his hands bloody, before the interview had even begun, Bernard's first words were, How is my sister? Being deaf, Eagerly watching D.S. Baker's mouth, he read the reply on his lips. Your sister is dead. And as Bernard sat, with his head in his hands, incredulous as to what he had done, he repeatedly sobbed. I must be crazy, crazy, crazy. I loved my sister. How could I do it? but that was exactly the question they wanted to know. How could he kill his own beloved sister? And why? Bernard Smith was born Bernard Bernstein on the 8th of January, 1890, in Russia. With his father, a master tailor, and his mother a dedicated housewife. They lived a good life in a middle-class Jewish family. Blessed with two younger sisters, Sarah and Leah, who everyone called Lila, he doted on his siblings. Living amidst the volatile times of the pogroms, where the Jews were forced out of their homes, facing persecution, violence, and often death, the Bernsteins fled to England by the end of the century. Setting up home in Portsmouth on the south coast of England, they rebuilt their lives, their safety was assured, and they enjoyed the kind of upbringing that all children deserved in a warm and loving family. 
1911. With Europe on the brink of war and keen to seek his fortune. As a quiet boy with big plans and a lot of confidence, 21-year-old Bernard Smith moved to New York and became an American citizen. Living in a small, self-contained flat, in a brownstone tenement block at 83 Hopkinson Street, Brooklyn, Bernard worked hard as a storeman. His room had very few homely touches, but it was just right for a bachelor. After several years of hard slog, Bernard set up his own business. A furniture company which not only sold bedsuites, armchairs, and kitchen appliances, but for those unable to furnish a room, they could rent a piece for a period of time or pay for it in installments. As an entrepreneur, Bernard's business had always flourished. With no wife nor kids, he supported his sisters and sent them money whenever they needed it. Bernard would state, I love my family. I have always been very generous to them. Which was something they would never deny. Since he had first set foot on American soil, Bernard had only ever had one friend. Having moved to Chicago, with Rene as Lila's daughter and his niece, Bernard would visit her twice a year for three to four weeks at a time. But for the rest of his days, he was mostly alone. His isolation had become a serious worry for his sisters, especially being so far away. The tiny room he lived in was little more than a cell in which he slept and ate when his work was done for the day. His job was fulfilling, but having done it for decades, he had no hobbies to occupy his mind. And with no friends nor companions, he had no one to listen to his daily woes, nor to soothe him when he felt low. Being so introverted, his quiet nature had turned him into a recluse, a prisoner in his own mind, and a hermit in his own life. And yet it was his health which would make the narrowness of his world even smaller. It began in his early 30s, as odd words passed him by and simple sounds were lost in a noisy morass. But by 1940, now in his 50s, although he had seen many specialists, his failing hearing had become a problem. The next 17 years of his life was like a life sentence held in solitary confinement with no chance of parole given a bulky white box to perch on each ear. His hearing aids had a limited ability to amplify the sounds, 
but as his condition got worse, he could do nothing but listen as he became stone deaf. He had learned to lip read, but with no one to talk to, even he described his existence as miserable. By 1957, age 67, two decades into his deafness, what little sounds he could hear had now been replaced by the maddening thrum of tinnitus. A persistent ringing, which couldn't be cured and wouldn't be stopped. Whether awake or asleep, this tone rang in his head like the endless torture of a cruel sadist. Every day, of every night, of every moment, all he heard was ringing. Until eventually, he snapped. By the winter of 1957, having had a nervous breakdown, Bernard was seen by a doctor. Suffering from depression, memory loss and paranoia, he was later diagnosed with early-onset dementia. He wasn't so sick that he had to be hospitalised, but it was enough to force him to change his lifestyle forever. Bernard would later state, In every letter, my sisters expressed their anxiety at me being alone in New York. They wanted me to come to England to settle down, so that I could receive the care and attention that I needed. And just as their big brother had cared for them, his little sisters would care for him. Concerned for his welfare, they packed up his belongings into suitcases and provided him with everything he would need for his retirement. They transferred his money into a joint account, co-signed by his niece Rene to protect his life savings. And having sold his business, in January 1958, Bernard moved back to England, to the place he had once called home. given sanctuary amongst the warm embrace of his siblings. Bernard had gone from barely existing in a wall of silence to being surrounded by those he loved on a daily and, if needed, hourly basis. With someone always there to talk to and to listen to, the sadness of his usual solitary snack sat alone on the sofa had been replaced by the vibrant bustle of family meals. In his time of need, his sisters had come to his aid when he needed it most. And yet, with every ounce of his strength, he would kick his sister to death. On the 13th of January 1958, Bernard disembarked a passenger liner at Southampton Dock 
It had been over a decade since he had last set eyes on his sister Sarah and her family. And although they had all grown older, it was the change in him which shocked them the most. Her big brother had somehow become small, thin and frail. A doddery old codger whose movements were slow, whose thoughts were several seconds behind everyone else's, and who required every question to be repeated slowly and clearly three more times every time a request was spoken. Their plan for his well-earned retirement was simple. Bernard would temporarily live with Sarah and her family. They would introduce him to their circle of friends. And he would seek out a little cottage in the country for himself, halfway between his sisters, with Sarah in Reading and Lila in London. Only his behaviour would change all of their plans before it even began. In Sarah's eyes, Bernard had always been kind and considerate. A softly spoken man who never raised his voice and always put other needs above his own. But even Bernard would admit that he had become difficult. Stating, Since the day I sold my business, I changed. Something happened inside my head. His moods were like the switch on the side of his hearing aids. It had just two settings, on and off. In one moment, he would be like a man at peace with the world, and the next, a fiery mess of abuse, with arms flailing and mouth screaming, as a temper from deep down within burst out of nowhere. And just as quickly as his fit had erupted, his face would droop, his tears would flow, and his apologies would be heartfelt. Bernard would stay at Sarah's for four months. But unable to cope with his moods, he would be forced to move out. What had happened to him, only he would know. Maybe it was the dramatic change to his life. Maybe it was the torturous sounds in his ears. Or maybe it was his suspicions of his sister's plans. Every few days, Bernard had noticed a scurry of surreptitious phone calls between Sarah and Lila, but never himself. When asked what they were about, he was always told... It's personal. At least once a week, letters arrived and were sent in both his sister's handwritings. And when he asked to read them, he was told, I don't have to show you the letters. It's my business. Being kept out of the loop and feeling he was being treated less like a loved one and more like a loony, his paranoid suspicions of his sisters could have been entirely real or merely part of his dementia. Bernard would state, They had always respected me 
because I was always generous to them. Once they got my money, I don't know what happened. I fell for it. I believed them. I had a nervous breakdown and I disposed of a very profitable business to come here and join my family. After I had made over the money to my niece, everything changed. On the 24th of April 1958, Bernard moved into room 622 of the Strand Palace Hotel. As a small room with a single bed and its own bathroom, it was not unlike his little flat back in Brooklyn. As a bachelor, the hotel provided him with everything he would need. Every day, Ruby Richardson, the chambermaid, would change his sheets. A porter would send his clothes to the cleaners. The bar hosted nightly musicians to keep him entertained. And for an agreeable fee of just 37 shillings a day, he got a comfy bed and a decent breakfast, as you would expect from J. Lyons & Co. According to the staff, Mr. Smith was no bother at all, being a gentleman who was polite and kind. Often sleeping until noon, they rarely saw him, and speaking in a soft whisper, they barely heard him. As the perfect long-term resident, he always paid his bills, he kept to himself, and yet they knew very little about him. As being deaf, he was hard to understand. He never had guests. He never saw friends. He always left a tip. And each night, he would head to Tufnell Park to have dinner with his sister, Lila. Bernard would remain at the hotel for five weeks with his stay only broken when he murdered his sister. His evening routine was always the same. At roughly 5pm, he would take the Northern Line tube from Charing Cross to Tufnell Park. He shuffled the four-minute walk to Lila's house at 83 Huddleston Road a three-storey terrace that she shared with her husband, David. He loved his sister, he liked her cooking, and he appreciated their company. But there was always an undercurrent of tension around the table, as not only were Lila and David not used to Bernard having such a foul and unpredictable temper, but he had begun to question his relationship with his sisters. On Monday the 2nd of June 1958, the day before her death, their heated discussions would come to a head over dinner. For him, his retirement was a mistake. As an American, he missed his home. As a businessman, he missed his work. 
and although he had no friends nor family in New York, he didn't feel he had family in England either. He had begun to pack his bags. He had booked a ticket to New York on board a boat sailing the next day, and he wanted his life back as well as his money. That night, Bernard insisted that Lila give him the letter relating to his finances that his niece Renee had sent to him, courtesy of Lila and David. When asked, they would deny that such a letter ever existed. But was this the truth or part of his paranoia? Tuesday the 3rd of June 1958 was to be Bernard's last day in the UK. With so much to do, Ruby the chambermaid was surprised to see Bernard awake at such an early hour. But there he was, fully dressed and bright as a button. Listening carefully to his barely audible whisper, he softly asked if she would mind tidying his room next, as his sister was on his way over to the hotel. Last night, having snapped out of his mood, he had apologized as always. And being a good sister, she had agreed to help him pack before bidding her big brother a goodbye. As a man who was easy to spot, an impossible not to miss. A wealth of witnesses would see the final hour of Lila Gilman's life, and it was as ordinary as any other. Arriving at the Strand Palace Hotel at 11am, she inquired at the reception, I'm here to see my brother, Mr. Smith. And a few minutes later, he came down and they sat in the bar drinking coffee. According to the other diners, their conversation was calm and pleasant, but nobody heard its content. At 11.30am, with the ships sailing from Southampton at 3pm, they rose in the lift to the sixth floor and entered his room, even though the chambermaid hadn't finished. On the bed were two half-packed cases, and according to Ruby, Bernard and Lila appeared very normal. Moments later, Ruby left the room and promised to return. That was the last time that Lila was seen alive. It's unclear exactly what happened during the 45 minutes that they were alone. At 12.15pm, Ruby heard Bernard shouting. But as a deaf man who was prone to loud words, she took no notice. 
with the windows open. Elizabeth Mortimer, a secretary in an office directly opposite on Exeter Street, heard a woman's screams, stating, I looked out. I could see two figures inside a window, struggling. That room was 622. One hour later, hearing no sounds and believing they had left, Ruby returned to finish cleaning the room. Below a half-open window, Lila Gilman lay slumped on the floor. A vicious fight had clearly taken place, as her pink hat was halfway across the room and her dislodged earrings lay several feet apart. With nothing stolen, there was no robbery. With no weapon, the murder was not premeditated. And yet, with her blood having pulled about her head, and thick droplets having spattered two feet up the wall, her death had been savage and brutal, as with all of his strength, he had kicked her to death. Curled up, with extensive bruises to her hands and arms, as she had tried to defend herself from her attacker. Her breastbone was fractured, two sets of ribs were broken, and with multiple lacerations and abrasions to her face, chest and neck, he had stamped on her head with lots of pent-up rage. Certified dead at 3.05pm, her cause of death was brain hemorrhage, caused by kicking and stamping. With no denying who the guilty party was, as his fingerprints were in the room, alongside his hearing aid and his American passport, the police sent out an alert for a wanted killer called Bernard Smith. Every dock, station and airport were searched. His photo was issued and his description was given, but no one had seen him. Nine hours later, on Waterloo Bridge, barely one minute's walk from the hotel, PC Robert Richardson spotted Bernard Smith and he calmly gave himself up. When asked where he had been, he admitted he had been aimlessly walking around, unable to comprehend what he had done. Examined at Bow Street Police Station, Bernard, who was helpful and cooperative, if a little hard of hearing, gave a full confession, being soaked through from his socks to his knees with Lila's blood. When he heard that she was dead, he broke down, howling, I must be crazy, crazy, crazy. I loved my sister. In his recollection of the events leading up to the murder, Bernard would state, I asked her why I couldn't see the letters from my niece. She was rude to me and went to hit me with her back. Everything came up in me, which had been accumulating. I went crazy and then everything went blank. 
examined at Brixton Prison. The quiet American was deemed mentally competent and fit to stand trial. Tried at the Old Bailey from the 8th to the 11th of July 1958. Having pleaded guilty to manslaughter by diminished responsibility, Bernard was sentenced to life in prison. As a US citizen, he was deported back to New York, where he would serve the remainder of his sentence until his death a few years later. Upon investigation, police found no letter from René to Bernard in the possession of Lila. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Frick's sake, this this heat wave can bog off. Oh, come on. Hello, folks. I'm going to take your, take your little helmet off. There you go. You can probably hear me better. Oh, fuck's sake. It's meant to be, heat wave is meant to be finished by now. And it's Monday afternoon. And the Met officers always are going, oh, there's going to be some rain in a bit. And they said it was going to rain this morning. Then they were going to say it was going to rain lunchtime. Now they're saying it's going to rain evening. And it's still fucking hot. It's hot. It's bloody sweaty. I'm going to open the window. I'm going to open up this back door. Oh, it's it's muggy and muggy as shitty, muggy, muggy shit shit. With added shit shit. Oh, let's open up some doors. There we go. Look, a bit of fresh air coming in. I actually recorded this with the back door open. Ooh, uh, ooh, uh, missus. I'm just going to pop on. Let's pop on a tea. Let's do that. Do I admit I haven't got any water left? Oh, well, let's not make a tea. Let's just swig me bloody, uh, me bloody water. There we go. Not enough water left. Oh, Christ, it's hot. I've sweated through what I'm wearing. Sweated through it. <sighs> going to be have to be wringing that out later on. Oh, anyway, what's going on in the world? What's going on? Um, 
Uh, we oh we had the London gig of how to plan the perfect murder and then totally balls it up. Thank you to everyone who turned up to that. Uh, we had fun. Everyone was really lovely. Nice to meet. Nice to meet lots of people who have only kind of known online or or have messaged me. It was really nice to kind of see everyone and meet up. So that was really good. Hope you enjoyed the show. Ooh, it all went well. We think uh, we've got the Manchester gig coming up fourth uh, of October. So if you live uh, up to north, uh, I'm practicing me, me Mancunian already. Mad for it, mad for it, our kid. Mad for it, murder, murder, mad for it, our kid. So I'm practicing that. So that's fourth Tuesday, fourth of October. We're doing it. I'll put uh, put some link a link in the show notes so you can you can get tickets to that as always we're keeping it at a nice low 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 price we've had a look around at what everyone else is doing and everyone else seems to still be paying like 25 quid a ticket for a two-hour show us uh this one is 13 pounds 50 and we're deliberate we're uh recouping the fees off that so when you so you pay thirteen fifty, and that's it. You don't the note uh, fees on top. So we've changed it for this one to make it a little bit more affordable. There we go. And if you're an NHS worker or a frontline worker, if you use the offer code uh, NHS, you save three pounds. There you go. You will. I'm on the door. So if you are a frontline worker, I'll need to see your ID to prove that you uh, have the right to use that. Oh, just hit hit the table. That's how excited I am about this show. Um, uh, to prove that you uh, can use th- that uh, voucher code. Uh, but yes, when you come to the gig, you, I will be on the door doing the tickets and I meet and greet everyone and then you can go inside and you can try and find Paul and Adam who will probably be poncing about, pretending that they're doing something, whereas it's me doing all the bloody work. Ugh, me doing all the tech, me me being the funny one, me being the handsome one. Yes, they did. They just they're just in my shadow. No, it was, it was good fun. We we were, that's what everyone says is that even though there's three of us on stage, because uh, we get on well, I think we all three of us make a nice balance. So it makes for a nice show. We don't interrupt each other. We bounce off each other well. We just it's turn up and it's just us having a good time. And our plan is if we have a good time, therefore hopefully you have a good time. And uh, we're, but we're all really nice people, so come along, say hi to us. Don't be afraid, we don't bite. Eva does bite. I don't bite. Uh, so that's in the show notes, that's the Manchester gig. Uh, we uh, we have another one that we want to try and get in before Christmas, but that's, that's TBC. TBC, he, he, he. Uh, what else is going on? Just had a great moment, Warren the Pooh came by. Very exciting. You, uh, if you're a land lover, you wouldn't appreciate this. But um, uh, every time you, every time you have a, 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 a whittle or a plop, it goes into a sept, into a tank underneath the boat, kind of uh, under the bathroom, and it sits there. And you put all your chemicals in so it doesn't smell, and you put all chemicals in so it kind of breaks it down and turns it into a liquid. But there's few places where you can get rid of it because you have to you have to either go to a, a marina where they can pop it out or, or you wait for warren the Pooh, uh, who's a lovely guy who goes up and down this stretch of the canal uh and then warren turns up in his boat and i've been waiting for him for weeks because i'm not always in and then like, you you can recognize his boat because it's got it's kind of like an old an old-fashioned boat with an old engine that you can recognize miles away and every time I've been sitting there, I've been listening out in the corner of my ear for kind of warring the poo. And I pop my head out, looking down the canal, staring at people. And quite often it'll be someone who's got an old boat, but it's not warring the poo. 
and I've been glaring at them and they've been like what what what's wrong and I'm like it's all right I'm waiting for someone else but finally today it was Warren the Pooh he almost went by but I grabbed him just in time uh, which is lucky because we're because uh, of the heat wave the water on the canal system is really low and I was just saying to Warren I was like has this been affecting you he's like yeah I don't know whether we're going to be out next week if we don't have any water so I was really lucky because my tank was almost full and the boat was leaning a couple of degrees one way so yeah Warren the Pooh turned up thank you Mr Warren the Pooh uh, got, he gets a big pump a big old pump with a an old style thumpy thing and on his boat is some big plastic uh boxes that are about the size of a family car there's four of them on there and they're all full of poo and we were on to filling up the third the fourth one with my plop my plop and eva's well not eva's plop because she doesn't plop no way would eva plop uh she she makes me plop for her there we go uh oh she does vomit though we all know that she vomits so uh thank you to warren the poo that was lovely that was lovely oh thank god uh as i mentioned final day of the heat wave hopefully that's going to fro uh asap and we can get some heat oh we can get some coolness bloody gonna need it i even like the other day i bought a like a big kilo bag of ice to cool down some drinks and i put it in the boat at about one o'clock and by three o'clock it was hidden away somewhere discreet that's normally cold and and in winter when you put your ice in there the wind the ice lasts for like three days here it barely lasted two hours it was water within two hours so it's it's roasty hot in here roasty hot anyway that's the waffle done um big thank you to my patreon subscribers thank you to gwen thornbury and simon dovey thanks guys uh thank you so much for becoming a patron supporter lots of goodies um um you'll uh, if you uh, gave me your address your goodies are in the post if not uh, i, I would have sent you an email message saying don't forget to send me an address and i can post you some goodies in the post no problem if you don't want goodies in the post not everyone does but there's lots of goodies online lots of videos uh a weekly kind of murder related movie uh walk with me uh, i think there's almost 100 episodes of walk with me now if you're a subscriber to walk with me which is on which is on the second tier uh you get all photos stuff that i will never share anywhere else uh what else have we got loads of stuff loads of good stuff that i always post on there always trying to change it up as well so thank you for coming the heat of struggling how to talk today struggling to say simple words also i haven't been outside yet except to visit warren the poo so um i i've forgotten how to talk i need i need to have a look i've done 1500 steps that's all i've done today and most of that is going back and forth, uh, making a cup of tea. <sighs> right, let's do some quiz questions. Don't forget, as always, I may ball some of these up. Uh, so get ready for that. Uh, most of them are easy, but there is one hard one in there. Right, ooh, uh, uh, quiz questions. Let's get ready to rock. Question number one. Before he changed his name to Bernard Smith, what was his birth name? Question number two. Lila was her nickname, but what was her real name? I almost gave away the answer then. I don't know why I did that. Question number three. What part of New York did Bernard live in? Question number four. What was the name of Bernard's brother? Question number five. What did Bernard do as a job? Question number six, what was the name of the chambermaid? 
Question number seven. Which dock did his ship arrive at? Question number eight. What bridge was he found on after the attack? Question number nine. Bernard lived in New York, but his niece lived in which city? And question number 10. This is a hard one, I think. Uh, What address did Lila and David live at? I want the number and the street. That's what makes it hard. Right, Uwa. Uh, let's dive into some extra stuff here. So, what is this bit? So, uh, let's just do stuff from the day of the murder itself. Um, so, it seemed to be a regular day um, for Lila and David. David left work. Uh, left for work at about eight a.m., leaving Lila at their home. Um, he already knew that Lila was going to go to the hotel to visit her brother and help him pack. So which is why we're able to know that they had a bit of an argument the night before, but they'd made up and they'd made an agreement that she was going to help him pack and then wave him goodbye. Do you know, she wasn't going to stop him. This was his his decision. He'd made the decision he wanted to go back to New York. They'd done it. They'd done their best to say, you know, stay here. We'll try and work everything out. But he was like, no, it's New York is my home. I'm going back. Uh, 11.15 a.m. Bernard left his room the chambermaid was there. She was working away along the corridor. She wasn't due to get to his room next, but he'd actually said, would you mind doing my room as my sister is coming to help me pack? Uh, and we'll be here in about 30 minutes. And she was like, that is not a problem at all. I will do that. As mentioned, 11am, uh, Lila arrives at the hotel. At the inquiry desk, she said, I'm here to see my brother, Mr. Smith. A few minutes later, he came down. Now, she was wearing a green cardigan, black skirt, high-heeled shoes and a pink hat. So very identifiable. Uh, Bernard would state, I, I might not do this bit because I've got, I've got all of their statement. I've got all of his statement uh, and I'm going to read that in full in a bit. So let's not do that bit. Um, as mentioned, they went into the restaurant slash bar and had a coffee. Uh, they were there for about 30 minutes. People said that they were pleasant. There was no argument. Um, Bernard was talking a little bit loud, but given the fact that um, he is deaf and his hearing aids aren't particularly good, he would waver from kind of speaking too quietly or sometimes being too loud. People did say that if he was in a busy place, he would talk a lot louder and he'd be quite shouty, not realising that it was a quiet room. Whereas sometimes in a quiet room, he would whisper too quiet and you wouldn't be able to hear him. So uh, <laughs> that's the problem, isn't it? Because he can't hear. He can't tell whether he's loud or quiet. Um, at 11.30, they returned to the room. They rose up in the lift. Uh, everything seemed fine. Um uh, on the in the room were two suitcases well on the report they say there was two almost new brown suitcases which were open and half packed um not entirely true because uh according to the crime scene photos which i have which if you go to uh if you're a patron subscriber you will see them on there um uh, he also had a large uh black trunk so one of those black trunks that you always see in the 1950s films that people take on steamer ships and things like that he had one of those as well um not bernard's statement i'm going to leave that for a second so as we know that the chambermaid heard shouting coming from room 622 she said it was roughly 12 15 to 12 20 everyone confirms that this timing is about right it's just about that moment but because bernard was deaf and shout, shout often shouted she took no notice it was just bernard um 
Elizabeth Mortimer, who was a secretary, she was in an office which overlooked Exeter Street, which is the site. So the, the hotel, as mentioned, is on a block. The front entrance is on the Strand. Uh, but on the left-hand side street, that's Exeter Street, that's where uh, Bernard's room overlooked. And Bernard's room was on the sixth floor. Um, again, if, you, if you're a patron subscriber, I've, I've, I've taken some pictures of the street uh, and I've put them... Uh, I've put them. Uh, I've put them on Patreon. I've put some uh, annotations on there, so you can see exactly which window it is. But it's sixth floor, third window from the left. Um, and she was sitting in her office, as you can appreciate. It's June, so it was a relatively warm day. They had she had her window open. Bernard had his window open as well. And she said, "I heard lots of hysterical screams from the window from the Strand Palace Hotel. The screams were a woman's. I looked out of my window and across the road, and I saw." Uh, one of the windows of the hotel half open and I could t see two figures just inside struggling. That window is on the sixth floor and the third from the left. I could only see two figures struggling together but I couldn't tell whether it was two men or two women uh, obviously because it was dark inside and lighter outside um, or what they were doing apart from struggling and one was screaming. Um, Detective Inspector Owen Phillips would later uh, attend that office and he confirmed that the room that they were looking at was room 622. Uh, the chambermaid said, as I hadn't finished the room, I went back at about 1.15 to 1.20pm, so almost approximately an hour later. I listened, I could hear no one talking. Uh, I had a pass key, so I went in and I saw a woman's body lying at the end of the bed. She was a woman who had come in with Mr. Smith earlier that morning and I phoned for help. The chambermaid, who was uh, name not mentioned, because that's a quiz question, well done, Michael, who's 61 years old, knocked on the door. Uh, we've got, uh, saw no answer. Uh, 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 she, when she saw Lila dead on the floor, she said there was blood splattered across the room. Uh, the body was in a green cardigan, black skirt, high-heeled shoes, and lay beneath the window. Uh, she'd been savagely, savagely beaten about the head uh, and a few feet away lay her pink hat. Uh, Ruby at that point, all she was doing, she was just going in to change the bath towels. Uh, on the bed, as mentioned, was Bernard's green American passport and his hearing aid. Now, we don't know why the hearing aid was on the bed. Maybe, um, maybe he wasn't wearing it. Uh, maybe because of the interference on the sounds, as mentioned in the episode. It. This was one of the things that they were when he was arrested they they had words they brought in a doctor and the doctor was looking at him and he and Bernard complained that he was constantly hearing noises he wasn't saying i'm hearing voices what he said is uh tinnitus uh, it's like a constant ringing all the time and they said one of the problems is that the hearing aid he had it, if it's not correctly fitted properly there's constantly sounds in there which could have been part of the problem so he may have taken out his hearing aid but let's not forget he can lip read uh so he may have deliberately taken it out or as they might have suggested because there was a struggle maybe it had been knocked out during the struggle just as uh lila's earrings uh, were in different parts of the room so that so there was quite a violent struggle going on uh the chambermaid called the inquiry officer uh, at the hotel at 1 40 p.m he saw the body and he called the police um the woman was lying unconscious at the foot of bed i could see that she was dead so he immediately called the police uh detective superintendent william arrived at 2 p.m he took uh the photos 
and uh, Chief Inspector Roland Millington, who was the the uh, in charge of the investigation, uh, he turned up and t- took control of it uh, just after two p.m. Uh, let's dive into these details. What else have we got? Uh, pathologist uh, Dr. Ronald, Dr. Donald Tear, who has popped up many times before uh, of uh, St. George's Hospital. He turned up about 4 p.m. and saw the body in situ. Um, several photos were taken. There were uh, bloodstains later found on Bernard's tie, Bernard's shirt, Bernard's shoes. Uh, with extensive uh, spotting and smears, particularly in the region of the heel of the right shoe and the sole. Uh, so he had used his right foot. That's what he used to stamp on her. Uh, his socks were heavily bloodstained. Um, the bloodstains actually went right up to his knees, but some were actually found on his underpants. So it, it's when you look at the, the spread of the blood, the blood literally goes up the wall. Most of it goes up to about two foot high, but there were spots that go up to three, three and a half, four foot high. So some had actually got up right, right to his waist, soaked through his trousers and into his uh, underpants. Some on his jacket as well. Uh, a lot on the footboard of the bed, uh, which was extensively spotted and smeared with blood, which was Group A, which was Lila's. Uh, now, obviously, because they're family, they would both have the same blood group. And this is an era where you, ca- you can't really pin it down beyond blood group. But uh, what they're saying at this point is it was it was Lila's blood group. They're most, most likely hers. Do- um, Bernard didn't have injuries to himself. So the autopsy was conducted at Westminster Mortuary later that day. Uh, Dr. Donald Tear concluded she had died of hemorrhage around the brain due to multiple blows to the head. There were also fractures to the chest and ribs. I came to the conclusion that these injuries could be caused by blows from a shod foot, i.e. a foot which has a shoe on it, uh, and by blows including stamping and kicking. There was no evidence of a weapon being used. So she had lacerations to her chin and bruising to the eyes. Uh, lacerations to the left ear especially one on top of the ear an inch long by the lobe of the left ear so that would have been when where her earring was probably kicked out abrasions to the left cheek jaw uh, and extensive bruising abrasions to the throat we don't think uh that was strangulation but it's it's not made clear at this point uh, bruises to the right jaw jaw uh wounds to the back of the scalp the upper being four and a half inches long, running vertically down the right-hand side of the back of the scalp and gaping about an inch. Hell of a lot of uh, wounds there. The lower one was irregularly roughly triangular, two and a half inches long and one inches wide right at the midline. So some serious, serious wounds to the head and fractures. Um, As mentioned, her brain was hemorrhaged and that was the cause of her death. Uh, she had pressure abrasions uh, over the back right shoulder, eight and a half inches long. So he's really using his, his full foot and uh, on top and bottom on top of her. Uh, one and a half inches wide and two and a half inches long uh, over the left shoulder with deep bruising. Deep bruising to the upper part of the chest. As mentioned, the breast bone was fractured in two places. The third and sixth ribs on both sides were broken and there were extensive bruises to the back of her hands, i.e. defensive wounds. Uh, Her body was identified by her husband, David, um, and her clothes and sample of blood were taken in evidence. 
Now, it's mentioned when, because they knew it was him who'd committed the murder, they were the only two people in the room, all the evidence was there, they needed to track him down ASAP, and also he'd fled, he was the only person who'd gone missing after this murder. Uh, police searched all of the docks, the airports, the police stations, they gave a description of this of him telling the press, this man's help may be important in solving the murder, so they're not, they weren't categorising him as the murderer at that point, but in their mind he clearly was. They knew that he had a ticket... Uh, to get him to New York on the three o'clock ferry. He didn't catch the ferry. They were also looking at flights leaving for New York as well. Um, his description was issued uh, small and stu- st- small and stooping with a wizened suntanned face and dark hair. He is deaf. Uh, they checked out the flat that uh, David and Lila were at just in case he was there and he didn't. They, they couldn't find him anywhere. They really had no idea. And that's that's the... The thing is, that they were searching everywhere except immediately within that vicinity. But they did have police in the area who were looking for him. Uh, so PC Robert Richardson, PC 185, uh, saw Bernard walking across Waterloo Bridge towards the Strand. He'd been going back and forth across the bridge quite a lot. Uh, when he got to the end of the bridge, he st- uh, the policeman stopped, turned around and started walking back. <coughs> Oh, sorry, Bernard was stopped, turned around, started walking back. When he got halfway, the PC stopped him and said, just a minute, I'd like a few words with you. Uh, Bernard said, please, I don't hear well. The PC said, what is your name? He said, uh, Bernard said, Smith. The PC said, Bernard Smith. Bernard said, yes. And the PC said, I would like you to accompany, I would like you to accompany to Bow Street Police Station. Uh, as you answer the description of a man wanted for interv- interviewing regarding the murder of a woman at the Strand Palace Hotel. Uh, he made no reply. He was taken to Bow Street and detained. Now, it's interesting that the policeman said regarding the murder of a woman at the Strand Palace Hotel. But Bernard doesn't seem to have picked up the word murder at that point. Let's not forget, he doesn't have his hearing aids in, his lip reading. That doesn't seem to be particularly good. And he's probably traumatised, so he really hasn't picked that up at all. Um, he was taken to Bow Street Police Station where they said he was no trouble at all Uh, he was examined by the police surgeon this was about 12.30am and there were blood stains on his right leg of his trousers which were soaked through just below the knee to the ankle Um, no signs of an injury to him his hands they said were dirty that's because they were covered in blood Uh, on his left forefinger was a small abrasion Uh, dried blood on his right hand and he complained at the time that he was hearing noises although as the doctor said in my experience if a hearing aid is incorrectly adjusted it can cause noises in the ear Um, the doctor stated it was difficult to converse with him um, and often when he spoke with Bernard Bernard said that his mind was blank Oh, what else we got Uh, DS Baker said "Uh, you have blood on your clothes I want you to change them um obviously because they needed them as evidence and they said uh he said yep that's not a problem obviously he didn't say it that way because that sounds a bit cocky uh ds baker said do you remember seeing your sister on the floor um at this point because he um they found it hard to communicate with him ds baker was writing down all the questions on a piece of paper and then having bernard read them bernard replied yes baker wrote did you see any blood bernard said yes a few drops not much Uh, And then he agreed to give a full written statement. So let's read that statement now. Bernard's statement. Ooh, uh, okay. Uh, I'm an American citizen. I love my family. I always was good to them. 
Since I have been in the States, I have always been very generous to my family. I've been been receiving letters from my family on average of one every 10 days. I mention this because everything led it up everything led up to it and I want to make clear in a, clear in a statement. In every letter they express their anxiety to me being all alone in New York and they wanted me to come here and settle down so that I can receive the proper care and attention I needed. Well, I fell for it. I believe them. It's true that I had a nervous breakdown and I disposed of a very profitable business in order to come here and join my family. Thinking I would uh, thinking I would get be getting more care and attention. I have two sisters in Reading, single sisters. They not both in Reading. Only one was. Uh, they only have rented rooms, but I had in my mind to buy a little home so that we could all live together, which obviously wouldn't happen. Um, after that. I was there a few weeks. They changed entirely and gave me a lot of aggravation and worry due to family in interference. Uh, they dis discouraged everything. So I came to London to live and stayed at the Strand Palace, room 622. I had food with my sister Lila. Uh, I used to go there to her dress to have dinner sometimes, but there was always trouble. Whenever we got together, they always abused me. Up to now, they always respected me because I was always generous to them. I had transferred my bank accounts from... New I almost gave away an answer then. Uh, from New York to... Uh, and had to put it in a joint account, which my niece could draw on it. It was about $21,000, which uh, I mentioned in the episode. is It's, it's about $210,000 today. Uh, my niece is Renee Greenfield, and she is the daughter of my sister... Uh, I can't read that because that's her address. Uh, this is not the sole reason. I don't know what's going on in New York. Once they got the money, I don't know what happened. Uh, my sister came to this hotel today. I asked my sister several times, why can't I read the family letters? I said, I brought up the subject many times uh, and I've got a very unfavorable answer. She said, I don't have to show you the letters. It's my business, you know. I don't know what happened. I just went crazy, that's all. The argument was the accumulation of what's been going on. I just went crazy. I, she wanted to hit me with her bag. Everything went black. She fell down and I don't remember any more. I saw blood spots on the wall, not much. And then I left in a dazed and walked around. Uh, so he was formally arrested the next morning at 10.45am. Um... And he replied, as far as my mind can conceive, what I said last night in my statement is correct. Uh, he made a brief appearance at Bow Street Police Court Friday the 5th, charged with the murder of his sister. Uh, Sir Lawrence Dunn asked Smith if he wanted to ask any questions. Um, Smith appeared not to hear. Sir Lawrence asked the jailer to repeat the question. Smith, cupping his hand to his left ear, said with a strong American accent, you will have to write, I do not hear. He asked no questions. Uh, as mentioned, he was he had his medical exam at Brixton Prison, which is where he was held. Uh, Blackout Ripper was held there as well. Many people were prior to uh, their trial at the Old Bailey. Uh, arriving in Brixton on the 4th of June 1958, uh, he was described as very deaf owing to inner ear deafness, but can limp read. He had a hearing aid, but it was not very effective. 
He had suffered a minor breakdown a year ago and has early onset de- senility, uh, i.e. dementia, uh, but was declared fit to stran- stand trial by F.H. Brisby, the principal medical officer. The trial lasted a couple of days, so it was pretty quick between the offence. Offence was on the 3rd of June 1958. The trial at the Old Bailey started 8th of July 1958. Pretty much a, a, a clear-cut case, hence they were able to kind of fast-track it through the court. There was no waiting around. Um, 11th of July, he was sentenced to life in prison for kicking his sister to death. Uh, during an argument, um, just before he was about to return to New York... Uh, as mentioned, he pleaded not guilty uh, to the charge of murder, but guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of a diminished responsibility. And in fact, the jury themselves had rejected the charge of murder. Um, his prosecutor was uh, Humphrey Christmas, uh, who was, I think, prosecuted uh Reg Christie as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, and obviously, uh, because he was an American citizen, he was deported back to America. Um, I don't have full details on when he died, but I do know that he died a couple of years later. Um, as far as I as far as I could find out, he'd served a little bit of his time, but because his health was declining, he was, he was uh, later sent to kind of an old people's home where he passed away. Although that can't be verified. Oh dear, so there we go, there we go, that's that. Let's do the quiz question answers. So, let's see how many you got, let's see how many I balls up. Um, question one. <sighs> Before he changed his name to Bernard Smith, what was his birth name? It was Bernard Bernstein. Good bit of alliteration there. Question two. Lila was her nickname, but what was her real name? It was Leia. Question three. What part of New York did Bernard live in? Brooklyn. Question four. What was the name of Bernard's brother? There's a trick question. He didn't have a brother. Question five. What did Bernard do as a job? He ran a furniture business. Question six. What was the name of the chambermaid? It was Ruby Richardson. Question seven, which dock did his ship arrive at? Southampton. Hopefully, hopefully Warren the Pooh was there to sort them out. Question eight, what bridge was he found on after the attack? Waterloo. Question nine, Bernard lived in New York, but his niece lived in which city? Chicago. And question ten is a hard one. What address did Lila and David live at? street and number was 83 Huddleston Road over in Tufnell Park so there we go <sighs> that's me done thank you everyone for listening to and supporting Murder Mile we shall be back next week we've still got a good couple of episodes to go I think uh, looking at uh, me, me charts I think we're kind of um, I take a little bit of a break second week in october for three weeks but i've got some i've got three good episodes planned for that that will go out and then we'll come back uh for the final run which is i think about another 10 episodes which will take us through to christmas i'm exhausted already so that's everything folks uh hope you enjoyed that 
Thank you for listening to the show and my rambling and uh, have yourself a good week. Stay safe and be good. Now time for the weird bit where everything goes silent and I sit here all by myself. Except Eva chucking up in the background. Have yourself a good week. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.